<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hey, y'all. I'm Jacqueline Coley. Have you been, I don't know, just waiting till it's time to dress for dinner? Well, you can get ready now. This is Downton Abbey, the official podcast. Downton Abbey, the official podcast, is a brand new weekly rewatch show, the place to be for all things related to Downton Abbey, the TV series, movie, and now, finally, the upcoming film, Downton Abbey, A New Era. I'm Jacqueline Coley, editor at Rotten Tomatoes, and I'm going deep with your favorite Downton Abbey stars about their characters and how they came to be, going all the way back to the iconic moments of season one. Later in the series, my co-host, Anita Rani, will chat with more creators, stars, and members of the Downton Abbey crew about the new movie. Today on the show, I'm talking to actor Laura Carmichael. She plays the unable-to-catch-a-break middle sister, Lady Edith. When we first meet Lady Edith, it seems like she's always going to play second fiddle, or maybe even third fiddle, to both of her sisters. Her older sister Mary is always getting the better of her, and everyone just adores her younger sister Sybil. But if you're a fan, you already know that the story of Lady Edith has oh so many twists and turns. When I talked to Laura Carmichael, she said that before Lady Edith, she had been juggling a lot of roles, just not in front of the camera. It's a funny one for me because it it, it was my first TV job. So, um, and like, not even like, oh, that I'd been close to other jobs or anything. It, it felt like a kind of bolt from the blue. I was, I had left drama school and moved to London and had that sort of quite typical experience for an actor of, you know, I was without an agent for a bit. I was working bars. I was nannying. I was at the time when I was, I got the audition for Downton. I was a receptionist in a doctor's surgery. So I was, uh, um, I had then just landed this job, which was going to be doing um, Twelfth Night on tour. And I was like, so excited to be playing this amazing part. And getting to do some theater, which for me just felt so exciting. But, um, and then my agent of the time called to say, oh, you've got this TV audition. And I thought, oh my God, I'm gonna have like, I'm gonna have to turn down this amazing theater gig for like three lines in a, in a show, you know, like that was, I really had no idea that I was gonna be seen for one of the parts of the, you know, family, it was so huge. And so I, I'm not sure I, I'm the most reliable witness, therefore, of how the script compared to other series because I was so overwhelmed to read it. But, um, you know, I, I genuinely was so excited and thought this is the most exciting script I've ever read. Well, you know, I could even ever dream of reading, you know. So I was pretty excited by how good it was. And then, and then Edith, I just, I I immediately felt for her. I could see her in this 
you know, run of, of three girls and, and I felt her heartache for Patrick and how that she was living in, in the shadow of the kind of brilliant and beautiful Mary. And so even though she was kind of awful and behaved so badly, I, I felt like Julian gave me all of these hints of who she was and how to play her. And so I sort of was in love with her to begin with, you know, even though she was, uh, yeah, a little, a little catty. <laughs> Just a tiny bit. But no, it's interesting that you saw her that way because I heard Julian, you know, said in interviews and has, ta- has talked about it, this was a difficult role to sort of find the right person mm-hmm. for. Did you ever talk with him afterwards about what it is that you sort of brought into those early sort of, you know, footage and auditions where he knew that you'd be the right person? Like, did you ever talk with him about that later? Well, I think it was Brian Percival, who was the, sort of the original director and who cast everyone in that first run. You know, he, he, I think, saw something. I'm not sure that Julian was keen. I'm not sure that Liz was keen. <laughs> um, Liz Truebridge. Um, but I think Brian um, was pushing for me a bit, I think, because he thought I could be funny. I think in those early auditions, I there was something comedic that mm. I actually think um I think we kind of lost really in some ways as it went on and and as the show took the direction it did it sort of organically moved into something else which was um a bit more tragic for Edith you know but there was the scene where she's with Matthew and going around churches and showing him Definitely, sort of going. Oh well, if Mary's not interested, I'll have a go. Yeah, and she's, you know, he's so far away from seeing Edith's um, potential romance. Um, that was one of the scenes I did in the auditions, and I think we were interested in playing the comedy of that. And I think, yeah, it just was one of those things that I think evolved into something that Julian, you know, he he wanted to play more of the the tragedy I think of Edith and the drama between her and Mary um there was a, a scene early on where the three sisters were together and Sybil says oh this course it's quite tight and you know there's sort of implication from the girls is that Sybil's put on weight and it's this horrible mean sisterly joke and originally the line was Mary's it didn't shrink in the drawer or something um and the director, Brian, said, you know, actually, I, I, that line should be Edith. We can't have Mary turn on Sybil as well. Like, and so he sort of cut that out, that um, sort of banter between sisters and made it solely an Edith moment, which I think worked. It really did, because I remember that moment. Um, and it's And it's a very, like, but it is, it's the honesty of sisters, too, yeah. because um, when we spoke to Michelle, she talked about how she is one of three sisters and they yeah. have a completely different dynamic and they're very mm-hmm. close and they're just so like, you know, lovey dovey. Yeah. And but she said, you know, but it is appreciative to show that there are other types of sibling relationships. Yeah. It's not all all in the, you know, sort of like family ties and everybody loves each other. And, you know, absolutely. Yeah, I'm also one of three sisters and and Jess is one of two. And I think, you know, there's something in that sisterly thing where 
you, you kind of can't get a word in edgeways with me and my sisters and I think to other people might people might go oh that seems a bit harsh or that's a bit honest and we just have a shorthand and I think my eldest sister is the best peacemaker which is so different from Mary and I'm I don't know I feel <laughs> I think I'm probably louder so in that way I don't think I'm like Edith middle child I'm probably more in that way more extroverty which is the more of the cliche about middle children isn't it um but we're so close and and it's really funny we're really similar to Michelle and her sisters and like we've hung out the six of us you know so oh my lord it's like we I know them well you know so and and she knows my sisters really well so we couldn't really be closer that's the same thing with these girls that they can um some dig at each other um for their own amusement or you know or for the amusement of each other which I think is is true of them as well I have to ask you looking back on at the time just thinking about Edith she does so many horrible things to to Mary in the early seasons not even saying that Mary doesn't deserve them but still Mm -hmm. when you write the letter to the Turkish embassy that says Mr. Pamuk probably died in your sister's bed and Edith just didn't care I don't think I thought at the time that I was playing the baddie. I didn't think um, because he writes so well to him for, and I remember him saying at the read through, he, he talked about Gosford and he said, you know, the thing is with these shows and these ensemble casts is that no one thinks of their own life thinking, Oh, I'm the best friend of the lead or Mm. I'm, no, I'm, I'm the bad guy or I'm, I'm the cool one or I'm the funny one. Like, that's just not the way people live their lives. Everyone thinks that they're the lead in their own life. And um, and he kind of gives you that, Julian. And I think he gives you, in these tiny lines, in these short scenes, a little, you know, window into who this person is and and who they are and, and what journey they're on in their own mind. And so for Edith, it's like, you know, she was having a really hard time. <laughs> and, uh, and uh and mary was was horrendous and and back to her and they humiliated each other and and they were so young i think that's the thing in those early days they not only were they young but they knew very little about life and they all they thought their lives would be would be marrying well and moving out of this big house into another big house and that's kind of what they saw for themselves. And, and in that journey, this sort of adolescent time is really significant. It's really the, the finding of the husband. That's, that's it. That's your only job interview. That's your only kind of route into this other world. So I think it's a kind of stressful time and who you're going to marry is really all they had to think about. And, um, and in that process, they were, elbowing each other out the way in instead of you know going god this is hard isn't it you yeah know? yeah it's the maturity that's that's the the interesting yeah. thing about all the girls but especially i think edith and mary is the, the maturation that they have as people reflects mm-hmm. how they're able to literally become better people to each other yeah and and with edith 
there are certainly things that we could point to very big rocks of this matured her, obviously uh, being jilted, obviously everything that happened with Michael Gregson, Mm -hmm. everything with Marigold, like all of these, uh, the the Patrick imposter, all of those things made her have to put away her childish side. But I'm wondering if you playing the character had a moment reading one of the scripts or reflecting on one of the seasons where you're like, I really feel like this is when she started to grow up. I mean, yeah, I think there were a few moments, I guess, like that big like life changes. I think the war for all three of them was a real moment because they, they were sort of released into the wild, you know, and um, got to experience some of life, you know, um, and yeah they were she was working on the farm she had a sort of a moment with the farmer this huge awakening for her um again just like someone seeing her who wasn't her family someone who thought she's special and interesting and yeah she had a bit of a snog with a farmer and (laughs) um so she had that but i think it's sort of that drive to go and do something to learn to drive you know for her um that was a big thing but yeah I think the the jilting and the scene with Maggie when she's like you know you're a you're a lady with a brain and reasonable ability says <laughs> Maggie um, you need to find something to do and uh and I think that's you know that was a big turning point for her I think. oh I do love that scene yeah. find something to do <laughs> she said, and she says it just like that find something to exactly do. <laughs> it's not it's not warm and cuddly but it's it's brilliant it's interesting too that you talk about how the war matured them too because one of the great things about the show in addition to all of your incredible performances julian's writing being transported into this world that we've only maybe seen about or heard about in books is the visual aspect Mm. of what you know everything from high clear castle down to what you all are wearing on your bodies like these Mm. incredible costumes and edith especially i feel because she was the middle child when things started, definitely dressed, I almost felt younger than she was. Mm -hmm. Um, But after the war, you know, when she's maybe the only one even coming down for breakfast, you know, they're all in different sort of settings. Did the costumers discuss that with you was how Edith's physical appearance changed? I think absolutely. And I think a lot of that is practical, you know, and for us, you know, the costumes got a lot more comfortable as the series went along. And I think you can say that that's true of, you know, what the women were expected to do in them, you know. So in the first series, it's these kind of um, corsets that were very long corsets as well that kind of go from underneath your armpit all the way down to below your hip. Like, you you can't move very fast in those those corsets. And this, this style of skirt is called like a hobble skirt I think even like you you really can't you're not expecting to go very far in these outfits which you know when they they go for the through the war and they start to to be able to to have sort of tasks they are you know I I had a pair of trousers I was very excited to have a pair of trousers and yeah and it just sort of moves along in that way until you know right at the end I I really enjoyed the Edith's workwear became very, very masculine in lots of ways. And I think the same with, with Mary, you know, they, they took on a lot of waistcoats and ties and they were, you know, sending a message with their, 
with their clothes that they they meant business. I will say I've loved so many of the outfits, um, but your dinner when Mary orchestrates the switcheroo, yeah, and you and you both reconcile mm-hmm. that dress like goes down in my like Downton Abbey Hall yeah. of Fame because it's such a great like it's literally like the nineteenth <laughs> century version of like the revenge dress yeah. and the revenge body. <laughs> great, I love <laughs> like, that's that. that thirsty that's so Instagram pick. Yeah, post after you broke up to be like, this is what you missing. Exactly. <laughs> God, it's so good. It's so good. Um, but you know, those are yeah. that moment. Even it, I think is illustrative, of Edith. It is a eventually like jubilant moment. Yeah. But it starts with like so much pain and shock, and that's just like Edith all over throughout Definitely. the series. Like every step forward, there's a step back, and <laughs> it just it never seems like she ever gets to go forward and it starts with all of her suitors are like that. Yeah. Like, like it's, it's so crazy. So just thinking about them though, Anthony Strallen, like, first of all, how does he exist in that area? Like he must've like left the area after he jilted her because all the, yeah. God knows poor Anthony Strallen. I wonder where he is. That's the funny (laughs) thought. What happened Um, to him? When did you know that was going to happen? Was this a situation where you read one script, they're engaged, and then he pulls the wool? Or did he tell you early on that like, oh, no, she's going to be jilted at the altar and fulfill her middle child destiny of disappointment? I think I knew that it was headed that way, that they were going to end up together. But I I do remember Brian Percival telling me that it doesn't, he pulls out. Um, of the of the marriage and yeah but I, I mean and again it's uh, these things with these storylines that you're like oh my god that's tragic and then you're like oh my god that's gonna be so good for you like storyline wise it's really meaty and that's the thing always with Edith's stuff whenever I sort of wished her well and wanted her to get her happy ending there was always like the thrill of when something really horrendous happened <laughs> it was gonna be quite good for you acting wise to have quite a meaty storyline but yeah I mean that it was a really tough day <laughs> that day because well, um, tell me well I mean it everyone was in and so this is the thing it's really rare when you get all of the gang together in one place and when mm. you do everyone is in a really giggly mood <laughs> and I know that because that's often me but on that day I had to concentrate so it was really stressful because I had like big stuff to do and it was like you know go reset the scene it was like walking down the aisle you know happiest day of my life is my family and then end of the scene you know waterworks and then but also being aware that there's like 30 of your mates all sat there trying to keep a straight face and not not pass notes and giggle at various things that are going on. So it was it was like a hilarious day, but um, but I I wouldn't do it again. It was really tough. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you poor dear. Well, no, I mean, look, I I appreciate what you went through for your craft. Thank you. Because it is such a great scene. Like when she throws the veil. Yeah. I mean, like literally, you can't you can't orchestrate let alone write a moment that is that poetically yeah. awful yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean so but on the other side of it it really not only Edith's place in the family as the perpetual middle child what's interesting about it 
is how it affects the other characters. When Robert and Cora are having difficulty later and Edith has something going on and Cora's like, oh, I have a big meeting at the hospital. And Robert's like, she's not had three days happiness. (laughs) Your middle child who's had the roughest go of it. Can you please show up? And I think towards the end, do you feel like that's kind of where Edith was? Like, because everything that happened and she stood up, everyone with maybe the exception of Mary. Yeah put her in a different class towards the end. And that goes with Tom. Yeah, I think so. I think she she definitely sort of earned respect from everyone. And I actually think by the end with Mary as well, like they definitely went through it and I think worked stuff out, I think, Um, because they, there's a sort of respect between them, I think by, by the end. Um, But yeah. And I, I love how, honest she ends up being with everybody I think that's the other thing when she has to confide in them about Marigold and and with her dad you know it's a big thing and I think once they go through that then there's sort of they're changed and I think that they're closer um whereas I think you know she she had been closer to Rosamond she had this sort of friendship with her aunt that was um which was lovely and 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 sort of existed because she could be separate and and with her and um kind of wilder with her aunt than she could be with with her parents but um yeah i think it's a classification of the sisters i mean mary although she's rebellious is very much a traditionalist mm-hmm. and all about the order of things sybil unabashed rebel will shake the table and leave it mm-hmm. but what's interesting about edith is she's just the next version that's living in this version. Mm-hmm. She's a modern version of who that person is, mm-hmm. but she just happens to be kind of sandwiched in the middle of a bunch of other things. Yeah. Like that, that was the thing I really liked about Edith. She was a, a modern woman. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. And that's probably why she doesn't modern and traditional are like oil and, and water. Yeah, and that's exactly the way that Edith and Mary were. But Michelle loved, she said you guys loved it. And because y'all had such a close in real life relationship that every time, like she said, she got excited the day that you guys shot the episode where you called her a bitch. I mean, <laughs> it was like the best day for us. We've been waiting for that moment for six years. <laughs> it was so fun. But yeah, I mean, we are you know she's my best mate and it's it's so much fun to work together and um we really make each other laugh and we really love trying to make each other laugh and so those bits when they're horrendous to each other is it's kind of the most fun it's the most juicy bits really um and yeah we we have a whole other sort of version of of things that so the comedy version that we act out a lot <laughs> oh wait a minute you tell me this well what I mean I just in version? terms of whatever the extreme is it's worse you know where <laughs> the ad libs were being much ruder than the lines that Julian writes for <laughs> that's oh that's so good yeah well then I then I have to ask you this on it what's your favorite Mary Edith interaction well there's so many I mean I do love that last scene really I also love when she comes back for the wedding when she comes back for her wedding to Henry I think that scene is really when Edith gets to be the bigger person um Mm. uh, yeah I think that that moved us both really of of knowing that 
no matter what their family and that that's that's what's important and despite it all they're the only people that will remember Sybil and their parents and granny and I loved that speech and I thought that yeah that was a nice moment between between the girls when did you clasp onto it when did you realize like oh this is this is bananas I mean it's my I think all of the trips that we did to the states were like mind-blowing because it was so exciting anyway and like you know I'd not really traveled that much in the states before I've been to New York with my sisters before really briefly but to then go back and um you know have a very different time of it (laughs) we weren't staying in a youth hostel (laughs) this time Um, slight upgrade slight upgrade yeah it was a little bit of an upgrade when we went back for Downton um so yeah and I I was with Michelle somewhere and we went to a bar and I think we were both wearing like leather jackets and jeans and just kind of normal clothes and we were we were in like a silly mood I remember just like spinning on bar stools and like giggling and this guy who was like a young guy I he just he didn't really seem like the sort of person that I thought would watch Downton and he was just like it's you, isn't it? It's you too. It's what are you here doing? And like, I, that did kind of blow my mind that we were just like, I felt like we were completely anonymous and just like in a random bar in New York and, and this bartender, you look like a cool young guy. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's Mary and Edith. And then, so then I, then I was like, oh, it's not just the events that we're going to that are Downton focus. It's like people on the street. From <laughs> so that was kind of amazing, I think. Awesome. I mean, it, I don't know, man. It's it's crazy to think about it here because I watched um, when it came here and and definitely mm. was, you know, when I got into it, I was like, oh, well, it's, of course, it's, it's on PBS. So automatically I'm signed up. Um, the other thing, too, like we, you know, we talk a little bit about, you know, oh, poor upon Lady Edith. But let's let's do the math at the end of it. She's a Martianess with uh, mm-hmm. already if the, with a lovely child who her new partner loves and adores as his own, another baby on the way and yeah. a thriving business that she, I that know. she started and, and all of this other stuff. So it's like, when you really tally it up, it's really great, but where does she end up with the career part? Because that's the one thing that I think if I was ever sad about anything from the first movie, that was the one thing I was a little sad to see that she kind of had to make those choices, which I guess are fitting of the time period, but made me sad a bit. Well, yeah. And I, I mean, I think Julian felt that. I think he sort of carries that on through this next chapter, looking how, um, you know, Edith is keen to start writing again and Bertie's really supportive and cool about it. And I think um, a lot of the plots that happen in this film um, sort of spark Edith's journalist brain so Mm. you see a bit of that coming back which is which is great fun and I love that and you know she's in control again and and it's great many thanks to Laura Carmichael finally taking her place amongst the greats just like Lady Edith Be sure to join us next time on Downton Abbey, the official podcast for a conversation with Phyllis Logan, whose character keeps Downton Abbey running, no matter what, as the housekeeper, Mrs. Hughes. And then when it started to actually 
get the prizes. Um, I thought, wow. And then, of course, when one of my lovely fans <laughs> showed me her tattoo of my Chatelaine, my set of keys that she got <laughs> tattooed on her hip, oh my I God. thought, oh gosh, <laughs> these people are serious. <laughs> That's Phyllis Logan next time on Downton Abbey, the official podcast. Downton Abbey, the official podcast, is a production of Focus Features, Limina House, and Gobsmack Studios. Executive producer, Diantha Parker. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe, and share the podcast with your friends. And finally, don't miss Downton Abbey, A New Era, the much-anticipated cinematic return of the global phenomenon that reunites the beloved cast as they go on a grand journey to the south of France to uncover the mystery of the Dowager Countess's newly inherited villa. Downton Abbey, a new era, only in theaters this spring. Before we leave today, let me share one more thought from Laura Carmichael. I'm Jacqueline Coley, and we'll talk to y'all next time. Hats. I mourn the loss of hats in the way that they were (laughs) every day, every time you leave the house. um, A lot can be said with a good hat. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.